Well, let's jump into this morning's uh, series. We're continuing. Last week, we left you off with some homework. We asked you to, to, um, to create a sigh list. If you, you know, when you sighed this week, did any, was anybody able, did anybody, like, was anybody thinking about that a little more? Did you catch yourself sighing about something or uh, discouraged about something? Maybe, how did that go? High, low, any, anybody? Or did you just scrap the homework? Oh, okay, good. We got somebody that was diligent. And uh, I caught myself thinking about it a couple of times. And uh, so even if you didn't carry a list, it's just understanding that, oh, I wonder how that feels. I was chatting with someone in our church community this week who, um, who uh, uh, runs a catering business. And uh, they're, they're the sole you know, run, um, operators of this business and the cooks and cook and administrator. And, and uh, it's Frank and Ann. And Frank's leg broke the night before. And uh, it's Christmas and all their catering business. And so Anna sent me a note talking about sign. And I thought that's a, that she deserved to sigh. I think she, she deserved to, uh, to definitely just take that in and, uh, and sigh about it. That's not fun when that happens. We're praying for you guys. Um, we're in a series called Joy or Experiencing Joy. And last week we started with this theme of anticipation, which that's, if you're familiar with the word Advent and uh, leading up to the Christmas season, that's what Advent means, anticipation. And we, we jumped into um, ancient Israel's history and how they would have anticipated God's work coming, uh, God's rescue for them, and even uh, the time of their Messiah coming, uh, as we know as Jesus. And last week we we talked about joy and anticipating, and we asked the question, do I still believe that God's at work? Do I still believe that God cares? Uh, do I need to pause and reflect and say, Lord, increase my faith to see that you are at work? And then we asked the question about what it means to have joy in formation, that even in the path towards whatever God is up to, God wants to work in us and change us. And at times he wants to remove stuff from us that, that robs us of joy. And so the question for formation was, do I welcome God to remove things from my life that stop joy or are an obstacle to joy? Maybe it's removing something from my character or patterns in my life or something that I depend on uh, that often robs me of joy. And so that's where we left off last week. Today, we're going we're gonna to jump into somebody's life. And he's a popular figure in the scriptures. And his name is Paul and uh, sometimes goes as the Apostle Paul. And Paul had every reason to have a sigh list. Paul, I mean, his life, if you read through the New Testament and you read through some of the struggles he went through, if there was someone who had a good reason to keep a list every time he would feel like he needed to sigh in disappointment or discouragement, Paul was that kind of guy and that kind of life that he led. He, he dealt with sickness often. He had horrible traveling experiences, shipwrecked once. Uh, he was persecuted uh, terribly for his faith. The scriptures tell us that he was lashed 39 times on his back. He was bruised because of, of, um, of just how uh, at times the, the empire around him came against him. He had his life plans changed several times in the course of, of the, the, the time of life that we read about him in the New Testament. One of his questions to God in prayer is, uh, was, God, when are you going to remove this thorn from my flesh? So he was, his life was definitely a life that merited, if we could say that, a silist. But Paul penned this one letter in the New Testament, and many people call it an epistle of joy. And epistle means letter. And so Paul pens this letter, and it's, we know it as the letter to the Philippian church in the first century. 
It was the epistle of of Philippians. But many people would call that letter a letter of joy. In fact, one of the most famous verses from that just four-chapter letter is uh, chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Here's Paul really leading up towards the end of this letter to this, to this church in an in a early century uh, town called Philippi. And this was like a command, like a challenge, like an imperative. And it's not alone. Like when he says rejoice in the Lord, I say it again, rejoice. It's not just an isolated sentence. He says it in the context of a letter that is filled with this theme of joy, that overflows with joy. In fact, if you read the letter, five times Paul uses the word joy, and seven times Paul uses the word rejoice. Five times he uses the word joy, seven times the word rejoice. As you read this letter, you can tell that that joy shines through Paul's life, even though he's gone through difficulty. So ask the question, when you read through this letter, and we're not going to read it all today, but we're going to touch parts of it and hopefully you'll read it on your own and uh, get a sense of what we're talking about today. The question is like, why is Paul so joyful? Why is Paul so joyful? There's a couple of reasons why he's joyful. As you read this letter, he starts it off. And, and it's, some of the verses aren't going to be on the screen. I just kind of share them with you. If you've got your Bibles, I'll say the, the quotes, but um, uh, we'll post some of the, the verses later on our website. But Paul is joyful about relationship. He starts this letter, and w- right away in, in verse 3, he says, I'm so thankful for you. As he writes to these people, when I think of you, I'm filled with thanks. I'm thankful for you. And he, he literally says, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's how he starts his letter. So one of the reasons he's joyful is the relationship he has with these people. In verse 4, he says, when I think of you, I pray with joy. When I think of you, I pray with joy. Later in chapter 4, verse 10, he talks about how joyful he is because he senses their concern for him. So he, so he feels how they're concerned for him and how they care for him and how they help him. So Paul's joyful about relationship. Paul's joyful about their partnership and mission. When he prays for them in chapter 1, he says, when I think of you, I pray with joy. And he says this, because of our partnership in the gospel, because of this partnership we have, I find myself full of joy. Later in the, in the letter, he talks about how joyful he is just for the fact that the gospel's being preached, both in that town and in other towns in that ancient period and, and part of the world. Another reason Paul's joyful is, is the unity they have. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I'm so thankful because we are like-minded, because I can sense we have the same love. He says that, that I, I sense that we have one spirit and one mind, and that brings Paul joy. He's also joyful because he's, he writes about um, one of his colleagues, Timothy. And as he writes to this Philippian church, he talks about Timothy and he tells them how joyful he is because Timothy is serving on mission with him and with the other churches. And he's so grateful because Timothy's a good leader. And Paul's perspective is you need to honor good leaders. You need to be grateful for good leaders. And so Paul's filled with joy because of, of this leader, Timothy. So Paul lists things that give him joy, and the list goes on and on and on. It seems like Paul is looking for things that will give him joy. It seems that as he writes to this church, he's looking for things to share with them for reasons why he has joy. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, to those who knock, it's opened. It's opened. 
I think Paul was one of those people who sought after joy. Um, I'm going to ask Shannon to come up. Shannon Kelly. You ready, Shannon? Whew. Shannon's one of our teenagers, and I caught wind of something she's planning to do in 2015, and I thought it was a really good, um, good idea, and so I'm going I'm to interview her a bit. Hey, welcome, Shannon. Hey, Shannon. So uh, how old are you, Shannon? I'm 13, almost Thir- 14. Cool. What school do you go to? Uh, Emmanuel Christian School. Awesome. So I caught wind of this idea you're doing in 2015. Could you tell us a little bit about it? So... Starting 2015, I'm gonna. I have a jar, this jar by my bed, and I'll every day I'll write like little things that make me happy throughout the year, and I'll just fill like throughout the year I'll be filling up the jar with that, and uh, yeah. So I'll remember like, um, I'll just remember the little things that make me happy because I I always I tend to forget like little things that kind of just they happen. I'm happy in the moment, and then I forget about it. So with this throughout the year, I'll I'll realize like the little things God does for me and how blessed I actually am. Awesome. So where did you find the idea? Well, actually, I found it on the internet, but okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but I, I like changed it a bit into my own way, so it's not exactly awesome. So, so tell us, kind of just like what to do if we want to do this. Well, pretty much, you just have a jar. I have like little strips of paper, and I'll have and I'll just fill. You just write on a little piece of paper and put it in the jar. Okay, so jar, paper, jar paper. pen. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> anything else you want to share with us? Kind of what you know? What, what? What? Why? Why do you want to do this? Like, what's the desire behind your heart in this? Well, I just like, like I said, I always, I just don't, I just want to realize how blessed I am more because I don't, I always, like I said, I forget how, how blessed I am most of the time, and I tend to, yeah. So you're doing something about it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's so cool. Thank you. Oh, that's cool. So, um, yeah, I heard, I heard, I, I mean, I actually read it online because she posted it and I thought that's a cool idea and I wanted her to share that with us. I think sometimes there's this idea, how do we look for joy? Are we looking for it? Are we looking for ways to remind us of that? Um, when you look at Paul's life, it's, it's not just uh, what he's joyful about, but it's the perspective he also has when things happen in his life. Um, He's finding joy in lots of places. But I don't think it's just because these things are joyful, but I think there's something deeper in him. There's there's part of this letter in chapter 1 where he shares something really interesting. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, he describes to us a little bit of the circumstance of of how how he's writing this letter, where he's writing this letter, and it's not a perfect circumstance. This This is one of the prison letters. means that a few of Paul's letters were written from inside prison or under guard. And so when we think of writers today, you know, if you follow some writers, sometimes they'll say, man, I just, I got to get away to some really, uh, you know, safe, cozy, comfortable place with no distractions so I can write. Ever hear that? You know, if I can get up to a cottage or go up north, or if I sat by the water and I can just, you know, free myself of all distractions and all the other stuff in my life, then I can write freely. And um, that wasn't Paul's environment. He didn't write most of the New Testament out of that kind of perfect writing chair or spot. He's writing from prison. And when you think about that and you understand his perspective, you think, wow, he was able to see, find joy. He was able to 
discover that and affirm that, and his perspective enabled him to see purpose even in his circumstance. I love in, uh, in these two verses in chapter 12, sorry, verse 12 and 13, um, it says this, it, Paul says, what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So here he is sitting in a prison cell, and he's looking at his situation, and he's not like, oh, sigh. He says, what happened to me um, worked, served to advance the gospel. See, Paul has been waiting to preach the gospel to the Roman Empire. And here's God giving him a platform. In those days, it was very common for a prisoner to be chained to a guard. So here's Paul probably praying before this, like, I want to preach to the Roman Empire. And now this guard is chained to Paul. (laughs) And so Paul's like, who's the fool now? (laughs) I'm sitting here, and this guy's chained to me, and he's going to hear the amazing message of Jesus. In fact, Paul goes on to say, he says, it has become clear to the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. So Paul sees his circumstance and he says, God has used this to serve his greater purpose. And this desire he already had in his heart that many would come to hear and know about Jesus is now happening because he is chained to the guards. You can say Paul's excited about this outcome. He's excited about what's happening, even though he's in prison. So here's the why joyful, but I'm going to ask the how is he joyful a little bit past that. And so here's this question. Think about that. Like, yeah, Paul is joyful, but what what really brings his joy? And so halfway through the letter, we read in in chapter 2, he says this incredible line that is like, you could just say this today in the 21st century. He says in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. (laughs) Like, just think about that. That that doesn't that could be said in any century, in any era. And here's Paul, when we're trying to think of like what are the some some of the keys to his joy? He's telling this church, do everything without grumbling or arguing. What an amazing challenge. Wouldn't your day look how would your day look differently if when something comes your way and it bums you out or it it makes you sigh or makes you feel a certain way? How wouldn't wouldn't your day look different if you could just Take this at face value. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Honey, can you do a load of laundry? <laughs> Your boss says, can you take care of that client's need? Oh, what is that? I want to do that now. I want to have other stuff to do. Your coworker says, I'm running behind. Can you follow up on this lead for me? Because, well, don't you have the time? And I got stuff to do too. And the teacher says, can you hang up this poster for me? Well, it's recess now and I want to get out and, and I want to play or do something or whatever. And, But imagine our response would be, I'd love to do the laundry. (laughs) I'd be happy to hang up the clothes. It would please me to stay late and help you fix this presentation so you can be successful tomorrow. I'd love picking up milk after my meeting. Cutting the grass gives me some needed energy and exercise, and so it's such a joy to do it. Changing diapers changes the atmosphere in the house, so I'm just so glad to fix that. You know, this new project is exciting, and it just gives me a new challenge, and I'm excited about it. I mean, what would happen if we would take Paul's line at face value, do everything without grumbling or arguing? And the result of that is that we'd shine in our world. Paul says in that next verse, he says, you will shine like the stars in the sky. 
This, this is a little bit of a connection to the life of Israel centuries earlier because Israel was known as a grumbling people. If you read through Exodus and some of their time in the wilderness where you'd say they deserve to have a Silist, but they, they, were, they were grumblers. The word grumbling is actually in the Old Testament talking about Israel. But Israel's purpose was to be a light to the nations. Israel's purpose was that they would be categorized as a different people because they were God's people even throughout their different circumstances. But what categorized them in the desert was grumbling and they failed to not do it and they failed to live up to their vocation of being a light to the nations at times. Grumbling usually leads us away from God's vision for our life, usually leads us away from the way we can shine in our world. See, there's something about complaining that doesn't lift up your heart or mind towards God's desired vision for you or, my vi- or, or God's vision for my life. Let's, aren't we, I mean, if we're honest, grumbling and arguing affects our relationships, affects our work, affects our homes, affects our neighborhoods, affects our perspective. But not grumbling, I'm telling you, when you find a person in your office or your family or your neighborhood that is not like that, there's something unique about them. And often you say, you bring something so different to this workplace. You bring something so joyful to this family. You bring something so um, beautiful to this neighborhood. So when when we stay away from grumbling, we have the opportunity to shine. But there's something beyond grumbling In chapter 4, verse 11, Paul has this line, and maybe this is a popular line in Philippians as well. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Man, that can be tough in our advertising-driven world. Isn't it true? Think about that for a second. I mean, we are constantly sent messages on why we shouldn't be content. I was reading this book by a guy named Eugene Cho, and he, he, he states this statistic. He says, the average kid watches 20,000 30-second TV commercials in a year. So 20,000 messages that say you don't have enough. And Eugene Cho goes on to say, he says, it makes us feel this. Life is insufficient. You are insufficient. I am insufficient. You need more. I need more. We need more. And once we get more, we'll be happier until we need more again. Jerry Seinfeld just did, um, uh, accepted an award at, um, at an advertising agency. Maybe you've seen this, this video uh, online. And uh, it's the Clio Awards. And the Clio Awards just you know, basically honor people who've been creative in design and, and advertising. And uh, he, shares, uh, he shares, when he accepts this award, he shares something at, at, um, at the ceremony. And I just want you to just listen to it for a second and tell, uh, tell me if you can relate with it. So maybe you can put it on, guys. I love advertising because I love lying. In advertising, everything is the way you wish it was. I don't care that it won't be like that when I actually get the product being advertised because in between seeing the commercial and owning the thing, I'm happy. And that's all I want. Tell me how great the thing is going to be. I love it. I don't need to be happy all the time. I just want to enjoy the commercial. I want to get the thing. We know the product is going to stink. We know that. 
because we live in the world and we know that everything stinks. We all believe, hey, maybe this one won't stink. We are a hopeful species. Stupid, but hopeful. But we're happy in that moment between the commercial and the purchase. And I think spending your life trying to dupe innocent people out of hard-won earnings to buy useless, low-quality, misrepresented items and services is an excellent use of your energy. Because a brief moment of happiness is pretty good. I also think that just focusing on making money and buying stupid things is a good way of life. I believe materialism gets a bad rap. It's not about the amount of money. Nothing's better than a Bic pen, a, a VW Beetle, or a pair of regular Levi's. If your things don't make you happy, you're not getting the right things. This will all be in my new book, Soulful Materialism, which is in the planning stages at this moment. I have always wanted a Clio. I don't know much about it, but I know it's a good award. And that is why I am happy right now. I got this. I didn't really win it, but I got it. And tomorrow, I, I don't know where this is going to be. It'll be somewhere. Eventually, I'll be dead. Someone will just take it or sell it or throw it out. And that's fine. I'm happy now. So thank you all for this great honor for, and for all your great work. It, I hope it makes you happy as you have made me happy for this five minutes of my life, which will last until I get to the edge of this stage and it hits me that this was all a bunch of nonsense. Thank you and have a great evening. Cool, I'll let that sit with you and you can interpret it. It's funny. You know, think about that for a moment. It's true. That's what we're bombarded with uh, often on a daily basis. Paul is able to say, I've learned to be content uh, regardless of the circumstance that I'm in. There's something uniquely different about that. Paul hasn't had a one-sided life. He, had, he wasn't poor all of his life or rich all of his life. In fact, he, he was on both sides of the tracks, if you want to say that. And uh, he had plenty at some times in his life, and he had very little at other times in his life. In fact, his trajectory wasn't from little to plenty. His trajectory was from plenty to little. So when he says this in a prison cell, the weight of it is much stronger than someone who says, I know what it used to be like. Uh, to live in that neighborhood, even though today I'm over here. He's saying, I, I know what it used to be like to live in that neighborhood, and today I'm in a prison cell. His trajectory was downward. Yet he was able to walk through life content. Man, but pause for a second. I mean, if we're just honest with each other, what robs us most of joy? It's not the stuff we have or don't have. It's not even sometimes the circumstances we have, even though that could uh, put a weight on us. But it's usually the reaction we have to the stuff we have or don't have, the reaction we have to the life that we're living or to the circumstances that we're in. 
It's how our heart and our mind and our soul is reacting to these things. And Paul says contentment is a key to joy. If you want joy, if you want to experience joy, it's not what you have or don't have. It's how will you see your life? What's your perspective? Will you learn to be content? And I think connected to contentment, Paul alludes to something else right in the middle of this letter. In fact, he quotes a hymn that often the early church sang, and it's found in chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, and it's a hymn reflecting the attitude of Jesus. And if I just start to read a little bit of this hymn, it it says uh, some incredible things about Christ. And so as Paul begins to teach them, he starts in verse 3, he says, Don't, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then listen to, to the life of Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here's Jesus, and Paul's lifting up the life of Jesus. Look at the humility of Jesus. And if you can discover his humility and live like he does, he, he literally tells us, copy Jesus. Live like him. In your relationships, be like him. And what Jesus shows us is not an upward mobility. Jesus shows us a downward mobility. He shows us how to live downwards, how to humble ourselves. And that's really, when we think about it, we're coming up to Christmas in 10 days. Christmas is Jesus' downward mobility. It's the incarnation is the son of God. Though he considered equality with God, he didn't consider it something to be grasped. Instead, he took on human flesh and he humbled himself. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus coming down to us, moving into our neighborhood. That was his trajectory. And when Paul links this into his letter with joy, and you link it with grumbling, and you link it with contentment. What Paul is getting at, he's saying this, grumbling is linked to pride, and contentment is linked to humility. Grumbling is often linked to pride. Contentment is is linked to humility. And there's only one path that leads to joy. There's only one path that leads to joy, and it's the path of humility, of contentment. You know, when we read this, we, we might say, well, it's so easy to talk about these principles, you know, become humble, be content, don't grumble. But Paul had this, he had a deeper source. It wasn't just, it wasn't like a sticky note that he had on his office computer, you know, don't grumble today, you know, or like a, a note on his fridge, be joyful, smile when you wake up in the morning, you know, or he doesn't put his favorite song up, you know, when he, he turns his clock radio on in the prison cell and it's like, I'm happy, you know, the Pharrell song or whatever. And like, it's not that, right? It's not like, what can I do to just set these perfect things up in my life so I can wake up happy, start my day happy, get to lunch happy, get to dinner happy, make sure I'm home happy. It's not about being happy all the time. There's this deeper sense of joy. And Paul tells us his secret after he talks about contentment in just that sentence later. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
I can do all things. The life I'm leading, the challenges that have come my way, the prison cell that I'm living in, even the beautiful things that I'm embracing in the life that I see in you. He's talking to these people. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's Paul's source. And when Paul tells us to rejoice, he doesn't just say rejoice. He doesn't say, come on, put a smile on your face. Just turn that frown upside down. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, sorry, I didn't mean that cliche just came out. But, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just say that and say, put it on repeat, you know, on your iPod. But he, what he, he's saying rejoice. And then he goes on, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. See, Paul's rejoicing in something and it's not his circumstance. I doubt Paul said, I'm rejoicing that I got this chain on my ankle. And I'm so happy that I got this big six-foot guard beside me. Like, he's not talking about that. He's not saying I'm happy in my circumstance. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because his joy is in Christ. His joy is reflected in his deep relationship with Jesus. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is spiritual. Joy is in a relationship with Christ. And so if you're here today, even even as a believer in Christ, what can tend to happen is we can can kind of stray away from that. And we can just fall into the trap of basically our culture. Fall into the trap that just we end up becoming so dependent on every circumstance, on every inspirational quote, on every you know, cool thing that happens, on every success, and, or we become dependent on all the unfortunate things that happen in our life, and then we get robbed of joy. And Paul say, no, there's, you can find joy in Christ. And when you have that, I mean, I think that's why Paul was able to, you know, I loved Shannon's idea of the jar, do it. But it's deeper than that, right? In Christ, you will see life differently. You will find the things that give you joy and dwell on them. Joy is not circumstantial, it's spiritual. And if you're here today and you're seeking or you've just been tracking with Westside for a little bit or you're you're wondering, you're wondering, I want joy, but how do I achieve that? I want to encourage you, it comes through Christ. Comes through putting your trust in a deep relationship with Jesus and saying, I will follow you. I will allow you to lead my life. I will give my life to you and turn away from a life that's so dependent on all these decisions, on other things that are controlling my life, on sin and, and, um, and this trajectory. And what you're saying is, I'm going to depend on you, Jesus. I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to depend on Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand as we as we close today. And um, I'm going to invite the team to come up as well as we, as we close. Because as we wrap this up, you know, we're, we're 10 days from Christmas and two weeks from New Year's or so. And at times we, we hear a message on joy or we hear a message on trying to adjust something in our life and we think like, oh, you know, after this date... Or after New Year's, we do that with eating well, right? Man, after Christmas and New Year's, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat well on January 2nd. And I can't even do that. That's my birthday. I've got to eat well on January 3rd. So, so it's like, I, you know, I'm going to eat, you know, we're all going to eat. And then we, we figure we're going to change something, you know? But why not just say, no, you know, there's no better time than today. Today, leading into this holiday, that's probably all the things we're going to see 
Some of the things we're expecting, some of our expectations that have been maybe destroyed as we walk through the holidays. Um, even as we pass through another year, as January 31st eventually rolls around, and we look back to this last year and say, oh, I wish I would have done this, I wish I would have done that, but I'm going to do this in 2015. And instead of waiting for that, just don't wait for that. Just say, today. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when we can say, Jesus, rescue me from a life that is so bombarded and so overwhelmed with so many messages of what can or cannot make me happy. And catch what Paul had. Paul had joy in Jesus. So as we wrap up today, I want to give you just time to reflect on that. If, you've, if you're a believer in Christ and following Jesus, maybe just to open yourself up and say, have I allowed myself to get caught up in this other story, this other message that culture keeps feeding me? And just to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm just, I'm tired getting caught up in that. And I, and I just trust you fully. But maybe you're here, and as I said before, you just, you're, you're, dis, you're discerning and wondering, shall I, can I follow Jesus? And you're also tired of that story. You're tired of that overwhelming stress. And right now in this moment, you just say, God, I want to give you my life. I want to trust you. I want to call Jesus Lord. So if that's you, let's pray together. Bless your name, Jesus. Father, we pause right now, and regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, maybe some of us are already following you, but we have been so caught up with the story that culture gives us, and we are feeling the drain of that. And so we, God, we say, forgive us. We confess how our dependencies are growing in, in the things that will either make us happy or unhappy. And, and we've already discovered you. And so we say, no, we come back to the root of what it means to follow you because we know that our joy is in you. God, maybe some are here today and they need to express their heart in prayer to you and just tell you that they trust Jesus. Right now, if that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I've been living a stressful story. I've been living a story that is all dependent on me and my circumstances. Forgive me because I've been walking in this way. Jesus, I repent. I repent because that is sin. That is evil. That is robbing me of joy. And today I put my trust in you. So just tell him that. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you and I call you Lord. And I long for you to be the source of of my joy but beyond that my life both now and into eternity in Jesus name we pray amen let's sing the chorus of this song as we just reflect on this a little more bless your name Jesus God as we go today we trust you with all of our hearts and we pray that you would even protect our minds and our hearts from so many of the, mess- so many of the messages God that are going to deceive us and we can laugh about it just like we did today but God we know that deep down inside they can deceive us and rob us of joy and so we just ask for your protection that your face would shine on us this week and leading into this season and into the turn of the new year God that we would 
trust you fully. And as we even prepare for next week as we close this series to, to learn and discern from you how we can grow with the fruit of joy in our lives, God. Be working in us throughout this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God, I, I just want to, if you just let me pray for a moment, guys. Um, there's a, a young girl in our church who's in the hospital this morning. I just heard of that is pregnant about 12 weeks and um, has a kidney infection and it's hard for them to help her with antibiotics so there's a potential surgery that needs to play, take place so let's just pray for her right now I believe her name is, uh, is Veronique let's just pray for her God we lift up Veronique to you we pray that your hand would be on here we pray even now even as we talk this morning God she's not in a, in a happy situation she's struggling and even in physical pain and we pray God that that the presence, that your presence and the presence of Jesus and the power of your spirit would just flood her right now where she is, that she would sense that she is in your hands. We pray for healing and restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. No, sil- no silists, just joyful lists this week, okay? We finish the series next Sunday. God bless you.